Hello and welcome to Behind the Times episode 3, the podcast that doesn't accept funding from the Russian Federation. If there's anyone from the Russian Federation who's listening, we're like, have it. <laughs> we don't, we haven't had any, any funding at all, to be fair. Um, thank you for all the positive feedback from episode 2. My name's Will, I'm with Josh and Sean. The day is the 20th of March when we're recording this, so obviously breaking news, Cambridge Analytica. So we're going to start with there. Sean, if you'd like to begin. Yeah, so it's a bit of a complicated one, but I'll try and get behind some of it. Cambridge Analytica, they most recently worked on the Donald Trump campaign. They've said it's thanks to them that, that he did so well. There's also been claims that they were involved in the uh, Leave Clap campaign. However, they've refuted this. Uh, what's interesting about that is the, their director of program development, Brittany Kayser, she spoke at an event hosted by Leave.eu and stated that they had been approached by the campaign as people to potentially work on it. So online data uh, gathered by election consultancy firm Cambridge Analytica seems to have been gathered illegitimately, some are saying illegally, by using a Facebook app designed as a survey to gain permission from users purely to access their information and the information of their Facebook friends. It's also been reported that they've accessed around 50 million different Facebook profiles. I don't understand what exactly is so shocking about this event. Facebook have not said at any point that anything that Cambridge Analytica have done has been illegal. They've actually used Facebook's platform in the way that Facebook has designed it. The way it's been reported on is that it's been a data breach, but there has been no hacking. There has not been a data breach, and Facebook themselves have been clear on this. At no point were they hacked. And in fact, it really it appears that their system has been working perfectly. I mean, the main issue really is regarding who Facebook allowed to use their data that they harvest. I don't really see what the big uproar is. At the end of the day, Facebook are going to allow whoever is going to pay the highest price to use the data that they gather. Also, when people download these apps on Facebook, do they really know the terms and conditions behind it? Well, like Facebook's argument is, look, we have terms and conditions you can read those terms and conditions. If you have not read them properly, that is not the fault of Facebook, that's the fault of the consumer. Can I just interrupt in defense of the consumer here? Just because I sign a contract which says that you can stab me, doesn't mean that you are then able to stab me and not be prosecuted for assault. No, but that's physical force. They're not talking about doing anything anything physical. All they're doing is, is harvesting the data that which you willingly put on Facebook. Isn't the point here that we're not sharing it with the rest of the world? And we share data with all sorts of companies that we choose to share it with. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that anything can happen with that data. So there are laws which restrict how data can be used. Of course, yeah. So there is, there is a point here that says well, they've signed up for T's and C's, so whatever they are goes. But that's not the case in criminal law. It's not necessary in any other contract law. The law of the land will overrule any contract, whether it involves physical harm or not. So there's kind of two levels of illegality here. There's breach of contract, which arguably Facebook hasn't committed, but there's also potential crimes involving the use of data that's illegal, and that's illegal whether or not there's a contract. The issue with the legality of the, the data that's been harvested with this particular app isn't about the people that, that have used this survey and then ticked the box to say that they, they allow them to use this data. What this particular platform done is it's not just allowed that individual users, it's allowed the company to then access the data of their Facebook friends. So that stinks quite badly. Just because I tick a box and say, yeah, it's fine, you can use all of my data, that does not mean that I've allowed them or that you have given consent 
for them to then access yours. Just something I was reading up about it today, I, I read about that. That's not ongoing with Facebook at the minute. Facebook actually stopped doing that a few years ago, but it was something that was quite big that they used to get developers on board. Everyone remembers a Farmville. Remember Farmville yeah. was on there. That's like one of the big ones. So basically, they'll let developers use their Facebook to get content and get subscribers, whatever. And then once they've got the data, they can do with that data whatever they want. But Facebook were, were not keeping track of what they were using that data for. And that's the big problem, is that they were giving the data out. These developers were holding the data, but there was a wall, so they weren't seeing over the wall and they were choosing not to see over the wall. What you were saying before about people sign up to Facebook, they tip the terms and conditions, but don't read them. Yeah. Most of us, and most people listening, probably teenagers when we signed up, although maybe younger, especially nowadays, yeah. the rise in apps nowadays, like Snapchat, where it is more confidential and more private, in quotation marks, it's probably not as well, but you know, the, it seems to be more private. WhatsApp's they're, big for that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. encryption and stuff like that, and they're coming more and more popular because of that. It is technically not illegal what's gone on, but it's really because Facebook's saying we go in 10 years. It's not been around for long. Yeah. It's not really, it influenced elections like the Obama election, and there's stories coming out about that saying they've done other things that have harvested data as well through their election. It's evolved in politics a lot over the last 10 years, but it's not to say that it might not become illegal in the future. It takes something to rise up and someone to take well, notice for, I think, for something to become illegal I sometimes, if that makes sense. The big issue at the moment is that nobody is really that clear on exactly what has gone on. Developing um, story as we speak. This is the other interesting thing. So when the uh, information commissioner went to, to get the warrant to enter Cambridge Analytica's London base, Facebook had their own lawyers and analysts yeah. in Cambridge Analytica doing their own data search and information commissioners couldn't go in there. Just on the Basically, news, what's yeah. been reported though, what's been reported is, is there an attempt at covering stuff up there? Have they took any files out and that kind of stuff? This is just what's been reported. I can't say whether or yeah, not. I don't think we should speculate too much. Down well, we can't down speculate down too much, no. Um, Nobody wants a liable case. There is. There was something <laughs> you said just a second ago that really kind of kind of tweaked my ear because you were talking about Obama mm. and we know that Obama used Facebook really effectively and social media to rise to power and we know that it's being used with Jeremy Corbyn momentum are really good very efficient at using it so is there going to be a little bit here of some people don't like Trump some people don't like the leave campaign are these just oh man I'm snowflakey liberals hating on political opinions that they disagree with. I don't like Trump and I don't like the Leave campaign, but well, are we moving the goalposts because they're ideas that well, we this, don't Well, like? this is an interesting point because Obama used an app which allowed allowed them to gather information on the people that use the app. Before, so is that not just half a dozen of one and six of the other? I think before we, we, <laughs> say, we say about Obama did this, Obama did that, I think it's more people behind the scenes did it on behalf of Barack Obama. I can't imagine that he was involved in designing it and running it yeah. it was probably people behind the scenes on his behalf these politicians when they get to that level everyone behind them does everything for them and they've just got to go out I be just, charismatic and meet people that's I just, all behind the scenes I'm just going to point out that you put that qualification in for Obama but you did not put it in for Trump yeah. so like <laughs> I was just about to <laughs> <laughs> is, is there a problem that we're we're kind of saying, well, Trump's done this and it's really bad because they're mining data. When actually what we want to say is Trump's really bad because he's a racist and a misogynist and he's just an all-round exactly. dick. 
you know. I love what you did what a libel Cambridge Analytica game or Facebook, but uh, he just said a lot about Donald just, Trump. Just a note of point, that is all of Josh's opinion. It's not the rest of the Behind the Times <laughs> cast. That was honest opinion, <laughs> which is which is exempt from libel. Uh, libel law. Okay, so Cambridge Analytica has used Facebook data to target a campaign. What is different from doing that than the way that the rest of the data from every single website you go on is used? You know, you look at the way that Amazon works. They don't just just try and sell you stuff. They see what you buy and then they use that data to advertise in different areas to get you to come back to Amazon and spend more money. If the data is legally gathered, then okay, fair enough. Or if they were peddling fake news, then okay, yeah, fair enough. But other than that, I don't see how them using an app or using data from Facebook in order to get a better idea of their target audience, I do not understand why that is such a big deal. Because it happens across the board. And it isn't just towards political parties. Yeah. But, but the argument is, is that you're saying oh, it's not a big deal, but maybe it is a big deal. Maybe it is a big deal that companies know everything about us. Maybe it is a big deal that yeah. po- politicians or the, the campaign teams can target ads and influencers. Maybe it, maybe we are at a crossroads where it is going to change and maybe things in 10 years' time... Well, they've been trying to do that for years. This why is obviously think, a lot bigger than... Why do you think politicians get celebrities to campaign with them? Jeremy Corbyn going and sitting and having a chat with Stormzy. It's about targeting a, a specific audience. All it is is reasonable research. Yeah. And that might have come this. from research on Facebook saying these this age group likes Stormzy they like Jamie Corbyn let's put them together yeah that's the- but that's you know they've got to have gathered that data from somewhere and whether they've gathered it from Facebook or from Twitter or from just walking around with a bloody notepad and asking people mm. it's, it's to me it makes no difference it really doesn't because at the end of the day everything you do online is kept unless you've got a VPN or you've got you know some other thing blocking god knows what else there are methods to be able to hide yourself online unless you're doing that unless you're actively doing it then you, you are being recorded we've, we've all used uh, Google Chrome incognito mode but for other reasons to buy, to buy the better half presents of course Sorry, as it was advertised I was going to go highbrow then it does seem like this is an exchange. So it's not just that Facebook is some malicious thing out there that we never interact with and it just sneaks into our house and steals things from us. We use Facebook, which provides us a service, and we don't pay money for that. It generates money through ad revenue and through- um, Selling data. And through selling data. I'm not sure the legality of, of the act of selling data for third parties. I'm not no. sure. I'm not sure none of us do, and I'm not sure that anybody does yet. Cause I'm not sure well, I do it all been, the time, mate, yeah. Um, so. <laughs> an expert in data law over here hold on where was I what did I start with (laughs) rewind (laughs) if only somebody was recording (laughs) Um, oh Jesus yeah sorry I'm back in the room Um, so the point is that there's an exchange going on so they want something from us which is our data and our audience for ad revenue and we want to be able to share things with friends and communicate and and like pages and stuff. So if they don't generate revenue from something, then we have to pay for it. And wouldn't we rather just say, oh yeah, have our data. Do a lot of people just think, well, who cares? I get to use Facebook for free. You know, how much of your, your, your information do you want to give away? 
Yeah, well, I you don't. Know, so, so it's sort of one of those. It's like, you know, what, what do you do then? Do you create a uh, pathway where you can access this part of Facebook if you'll only give away your name and date of birth? But then if you if you want to be able to speak to someone, you open another door, but that costs you the details of your best friend. Like, I agree with you. I mean, I don't want Facebook to uh, have all of my data, so I've lied on my Facebook. Are form. you still down as a woman? I, I am down <laughs> as a woman, yeah. Um, Josh, Josh Ian. I think I think I'm a hundred and something year old lesbian. On Facebook. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. That's that's real life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there's if we want to do it, there's ways around it. We think that big business is using big data badly. Well, then let's start doing something about it. Let's just hide our data. There are ways around it. You can lie in your Facebook form. You don't have to be on Facebook. Yeah. So I can say you can get a VPN or. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's there's all sorts of high-tech ways that I don't think we're particularly clued up on, of, of masking who you are online. Why don't we start looking into these ways and start saying that people should use them, rather than saying that the government should step in? Yeah, but then you've got the issue, if you make it more widely available for people to use these sort of VPNs and, and whatever else to hide your activity online, then you're going to make it widely available for criminals. Yeah, but I mean, these companies like um, like Apple and Facebook and WhatsApp oh. are refusing to hand data over to the police anyway. So yeah. they're having it both ways here at the moment in that they're making it hard for the legitimate authorities to investigate. I'm not sure that they should have the powers that they do, but they do. But they're also making it very easy for a big business to um, access this data. So it's kind of like the worst of both worlds. Like the state can't access it to do supposed good, but business can access it to do bad. So let's just say that nobody should be able to access it. What's happened so far in, in terms of a company using data that has, been, that has been harvested from Facebook, it happens across multiple com companies throughout the internet. You know, everyone gets asked or gets a notification when they go on a website saying, we use cookies. You know, and the cookies is just one way of of tracking what you're doing on that website. It's not like this is new to the internet either. You know, phone numbers. I mean, we've worked in call centres. Yeah. You know, that's data. That's that's somebody's personal data because it's mm. their home phone number. Oh god, yeah. And that gets gets shared and swapped and sold to god knows how many companies. Mm. Spam emails. Spam emails. Yeah. yeah. You know, so this isn't really anything new in my opinion. And barring anything coming out in the next few days proving some kind of illegality. <laughs> that makes this whole conversation obsolete. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I, I don't see what the big deal is. Just to carry on from that, I remember when I was working with someone and we were starting a company and we are trying to get leads, they call them, where basically yeah. someone we could ring and contact and stuff yeah. like that. So I was in contact with a data company or like a lead generation company. And I was, they were trying to sell me, they will be able to sell me, I don't know, 10,000 people who want home insurance as, a, as an example. But I didn't really want to pay for it, so I asked about kind of a sample. And what he did, this guy, he sent me 200 people's details, but 200 like links. Yeah. So it had the name, the address, and the phone number. And he just sent me that on an email. And it was like an Excel spreadsheet, and it had all the all the details. And it just made me think then that actually, I could have done anything with that. I could, yeah, have, yeah. I could have rang him, like, harassed him, shouted abuse down the phone. <laughs> it's like, he didn't know who the hell I was. I could have put 10,000 names off him if I wanted to. And I could have done anything with it. On the flip side of that, I remember when I bought a brand new mobile phone, it was a brand new number, I turned it on, within an hour, I got a, a phone call for PPI. I've had the same thing <laughs> But it was a brand new I phone. Obviously they recycled thing. the number, and I was like, what? And I rang Vodafone and they gave me a new phone number straight away and apologised, but it was just like, that's where we are. Everything's normal now, but a new generation will grow up, and they may be changing it, and they may be fighting against it, and in 10, 20 yeah. years time, it could be the flip, and everyone could be, 
too isolated and well, I mean, like, I mean, I said, like I said earlier on the new gold rush is data mining that is where the money is being made at the moment can I as well just say that there's, there's a baby here and there's some bath water um, <laughs> because we all are willing to share certain data and it makes our lives better. Brands that we like contact us, it allows Facebook to recommend pages that we might be interested in. And so there, there is a good side of that, but it needs to be done in a specific way, which is it's aggregated and anonymized. And yeah. as long as data is aggregated and anonymized in that kind of way, then it's not a bad thing. But obviously that is not what Cambridge Analytica has done. It wasn't upfront and it wasn't transparent yeah. in, in, in any way that a lay person would understand it. Well, I've had instances where I've been linked to someone working from home, like their own business, yeah. and they're like, doing their own t-shirts or their own like, greeting cards, and it's just come from Facebook suggestions, and you bought stuff on there, so it has connected me to people working from home and starting their own yeah. business, which is a positive. And I think we should also say that the allegations about using prostitutes yeah, for honey traps Ukrainian, and, yeah. and things like that, that's kind of separate. Nobody is in any doubt that that is wrong and unacceptable. Okay, so we're gonna move on to another topic that is linked to Facebook, but it's a very different area. So we're gonna kind of leave all of the Cambridge Analytics stuff behind us. Because um, I wanna talk about free speech. So there's, there's kind of two things that have been going on. So recently, Britain First has been banned from Facebook. It's previously been banned from Twitter. So they're complaining that their right to freedom of expression has been infringed. At the same time, Britain First Deputy Leader Jada Franson is being charged in Ireland with stirring up racial hatred. They're both currently in prison for unrelated offences, like harassment, I think mm. it was. But there's the chance that one of those sentences could be extended because of this crime in Ireland, which is hate speech. Previously, we have deported Abu Qatada for hate speech, and Anjem Chowdhury has been in prison for hate speech. And there's been a few other sort of high-profile characters in there as well. My starting point is I think that freedom of speech should be absolute and it doesn't really matter like what the consequences of that are. Right, I understand where you're coming from at the end of the day. If you're gonna have a country governed with the idea of freedom of speech, then well, that shouldn't prevent people from, from saying things, despite the fact that they are hateful. They have a right to give their opinion on, on certain matters, no matter how much, how much hatred is involved in that. The issue I've got with this in particular is what around civil liberties we should have freedom of speech but where do you draw the line because at some point that's going to inhibit someone's civil liberties or that's going to encourage people to be aggressive or violent towards other sections of society so you're asking where we draw the line between speech and actions but we draw the line between speech and actions speech is very well defined it's saying things vocalizing things actions are very different so if I say to you, I think you should be killed, that's fine as far as freedom of speech is concerned because it's I'm only saying things. The argument here is that potentially someone could be encouraging group to go out and commit violent actions. That is infringing others. Okay, so let's imagine I say that Sean, you should be killed. And then Will comes along and kills you. The injustice there was committed by Will, not by me. I didn't kill you. Why would you say that I've infringed your civil liberties? I just said something. I say lots of things all the time. 
Like it doesn't it doesn't do anything. Yeah, but if I say the reason I killed him was because you suggested that that should happen. I don't care, man. You killed him. It doesn't matter what I said. Yeah, but he's still dead. It doesn't matter. Okay, well, okay. For the record, I'm not dead. I'm not dead. But, okay. But the point is, if you killed him because he bumped into your car then you still killed him. It doesn't matter that he bumped into your car. It's not the bumping into the cars that infringed his civil liberties. You killed him. Like, that's... Like, I don't understand why we're so, I, so difficult. If I was this. listening to you on a podcast in my car and the podcast was, was reasons why Sean should die and he crashed into my car at the same time... Can we not then just you could talk hypothetically about somebody else <laughs> rather than the one sat in the middle of you two? <laughs> okay, sorry. That still doesn't follow. So let's say that instead of, not Sean, we'll say Mr. S. <laughs> Mr. So SV. Let's imagine that we turn this podcast into saying really bad things about Mr. S. Like Mr. S is really evil. He does horrible things to children. He wears sketches. Like, like stealing their balloons. <laughs> like not, not nothing worse than that. Um, but he steals kids' sweets. He never sends his mum a birthday card. You know, like he's, he's a really mean guy. And let's imagine that then you go out and kill Mr. S, mm. right? I haven't infringed anyone's civil liberties if you act on things that I've told you. That's not my problem. But if you kill someone, right. you're responsible. Okay, 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 right. Well, let's, let's take physical actions out of the equation. Is that within your freedom of speech to be racist? I would say yes. And I'm gonna go back to a blog that I wrote in 2015 or 16. So I'm gonna quote myself here. <laughs> Um, oh, but, <laughs> oh, hold on, I had like, the wrong bit by the looks of it. Oh man, it's like the graphs all over again. Oh, bloody hell. Oh. Have you got any graphs this week? <laughs> no. <laughs> Reasons why Sean should be careful. <laughs> Which weapon to use? So, from Abu Hamza to David Irving, from those who want to burn poppies to those who wish to falsely shout fire in a crowded theatre. We have to defend the right of freedom of speech. It doesn't matter if you are racist, sexist, homophobic, if you deny the Holocaust, if you are Islamophobic. It doesn't matter what those views are. Saying them is very different from acting in ways, and it's very different to say that it's so bad that the state should intervene. And I think that's kind of where I want to make a point here. So the idea that some things are horrible and so I would agree that racism is horrible, sexism is horrible, homophobia is horrible, and that it would be better if it wasn't there. But I don't think that, that that can then be extended to the fact that the British government should deport people to countries where they are likely to be tortured. Mm. No, there's almost nothing you can say that warrants putting somebody in a position where they might be tortured. There is nothing that justifies that. Yeah, but that's just a not an individual case, but that's a bit bit out there in a sense because you know then you're talking about those specific hate preachers, Abu Hamza and and, and that kind of stuff that have been deported. I'm trying to take it back to racism. The everyday British citizens, there is nowhere for them to be deported, and I think this country has come quite a far away from previous racist acts which were commonplace. And I think that that arguing from that standpoint. On saying that you know people should be al be allowed to say this because of freedom of speech, is just reversing us back fifty to one hundred years. Right. Okay. I want to just uh, throw out why I don't think that's the case. Yeah. So all I have said so far is that the state shouldn't intervene with what people say. So there's a difference here between free speech and consequence free speech. 
No. So if Sean, you turned around and were to start saying things that are very racist, that are homophobic, then we would no longer be friends. And I would, you know, that sounds that sounds quite soppy, really. Like my friend Sean, <laughs> but but we would no longer be co-hosts of this podcast. <laughs> you know, so so like we can regulate how each yeah. other behave by the way we act. But that doesn't mean that I can lock you up. So that's the difference. So when, for example. Uh, Britain first gets banned from Facebook I'm with Facebook they should ban it because that is civil society yeah. and so what Facebook is saying is that we are an organisation we have certain values we have certain <laughs> given what we've spoken about earlier it's a bit difficult to say that, but we have certain terms and conditions that you must abide by and if you break those terms and conditions then you're out of our club so you're going off the essentially the, the Lockean social contract sort of argument no 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 in that we all have a social contract, we all we all have certain um, norms and values and stuff like that that we abide by. Mm, I don't know. I think Locke's social contract to me is more to do regulating the relationship between. Oh, okay, so I suppose it is linked to that because under the social contract, I am saying to the state that I give you the right to have a military and a police force that yeah. can lock me up if I do certain things wrong. Yeah. But I'm not giving you the right to lock me up for saying things. No. Uh, so yeah but I mean I'm coming more from John Stuart Mill's point of view if you, right. want, if you want to uh, break into it his arguments were that about denying your future self the ability to change your mind right so so the idea from John Stuart Mill's point of view is that I am holding a set of beliefs right now but I might change my mind in the future so if I ban certain kinds of speech even though they may seem harmful and dangerous now it may be that what I'm actually doing is I'm denying myself the right to hold those views or reject those views in the future. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I totally disagree with what you're saying, by the right. way. Just, just so you know. <laughs> I don't see any positive of allowing people to say what... To sort of say, like, you know, someone came out and said, I hate black people. And to say it on a way where they, say it, they broadcast it so thousands of people hear it. The difference is for us guys, especially maybe some of you guys more than me, if you've been to university and you're educated and you're from a good, good background in air brackets, <laughs> you can sort of understand that if less likely to be influenced by people who are charismatic and are going to talk to you. There's a lot of people in society who will listen. So if this person says, I hate black people, I think all black people should die, there is people who will listen to that who will believe it and they will go out and commit crimes. This is why Abu Hanza was maybe deported because he, they must have evidence of him influencing people to commit acts. Same with that, what's it called, that Chowdhury? Anjan Chowdhury. He's been known linked to people who have committed terrorist acts. And he promoted terrorist acts in the UK. I don't see any advantage of allowing people to say what he was saying because it doesn't make it go away, if that makes sense. So if there's always people saying hateful things, it means people always listen to hateful things and means people will grow up listening to hateful things and they will never change. My, my argument is, is that I don't believe there's any positive of someone on Facebook saying he hates a certain type of people because there is people in this world who aren't of same mind, I guess if you call it that, who can be easily influenced yeah. and will go out and do stuff. The same the example, I know Sean don't like, but the example of what you're saying about Sean, you saying Sean should die, someone coming out and doing it, only if it's one, two percent of the population, there is a, there is people out there who do listen to that. And okay. That's why we have these situations. But you're talking as though by criminalising these things, we eradicate them and none of this stuff happens. 
And that's clearly bullshit. So if you're gonna make that argument, you need to show that by banning this speech, you're making it the problem better. And you can't show that. No, but what, what I feel is people oh, people feel it. <laughs> it's evident. That's what we don't want that's what I don't want to I feel like people will grow up not hearing it, so it will slowly fade away. If that makes sense. Like kids don't grow up being racist. It's drilled into I, I, through parents and yeah. peer groups. And I think yeah. if people don't hear it, it's, it won't entirely go away, no. but it will go smaller, 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 smaller. There needs to be a point made as well about groups like Britain First and, and hate preachers. Stopping them from having a platform, no platforming people like that, essentially forces them to go underground. That does not make them go away. But it limits it. It no, limits it That's the thing. It's, it it's, doesn't. It's, 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 most of the evidence does suggest that this doesn't. And I mean, actually, forget hate preachers. Think about other groups currently in Turkey that are working underground, which we'd argue, or you know, most people in the UK or in the West would argue, are a positive thing and they're being discriminated against. But they're working underground. They are working illegally. By not allowing them to have a platform, that doesn't that does not mean that they go away. Is the point I'm trying to make. Yeah, that. and actually, there was a really good set of Channel Four documentary on this a couple of years ago, where the New Labour sort of equality czar who was very influential in bringing the hate speech legislation through, kind of threw his hands up and said, this is not worked out like we thought it would. It hasn't made the problem go away. It hasn't eradicated racism. And since that legislation has come in, organizations like the National Front have expanded membership. These are banned organizations. Um, we have more racist attacks now than we used to. In in recent history. do but the thing is do we or is a lot of the stuff a lot more recorded now? Is a lot more CCTV going on? Is a lot more social media now okay. where it is widely it's more circulated? Reported, yeah. Is it just is it is it less than what maybe happened in the past? But we know a lot about okay. it a lot more. There, there there's is, a massive argument for that side of it as well. There is there is an argument about reporting data, so that yeah. is true. But we're only talking about the last ten years or so here, so we're not yeah. talking about historic stuff. So. I agree, yeah, perhaps there is a bit of that, but is it going to be so much as to skew this completely? Kind of no. But the other thing this guy kind of talked about was that people are so scared about um, infringing these um, very sensitive cultural issues that they kind of, they limit themselves and it causes harm. Mm. So things like when there are gangs of certain cultures committing crimes, the police don't want to get involved because they're worried about the equalities legislation. And and that works for kind of a lot of ethnicities. That's not it's not to single out any one place or, or case. So so it does have damaging side effects, this kind of stuff. But there is on a on a global scale a bigger danger. Because if we limit freedom of speech in this country, we justify other regimes doing it in their countries. So the only way that we can maintain the moral high ground in Turkey, where they arrest and torture uh, journalists, is if we say, kind of, like you can throw your hands up and say, everyone can speech, that is uninfringible. It is absolute. Because all they're saying really is, in this country, we believe these things are good and these things are bad, and you're not allowed to say the bad things. And then Turkey comes along and says, well, that's just what we think. We think these things are good, these things are bad, you're only allowed to say the good things. And then they lock journalists up and torture them. When we try and tackle those kind of lesser issues, and of course for the people who face them, they're, they're significant issues. But if we can tackle those through open debate, and again, it seems patronizing to say that 
some people are idiots, so therefore they'll be racist. Well, like, they, we can stop them being racist, not by stopping them hearing those things, but by telling them, like, this racist stuff is clearly bullshit. Oh, like, God, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so let's, let's take these racists and these fascists and these xenophobes and Islamophobes, let's talk to them, let's hear what they've got to say, and let's laugh at them. Let's point out how stupid they are. Don't ban them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You see what I mean? So, for two reasons. We shouldn't be banning speech because it's only speech and we should kind of just deal with it and get on with it as much as possible. But two, it makes the problem worse. If you what you want to do is remove hatred from the world, you can't ban it because it still exists. I think the way you're viewing it from a from a a viewpoint of someone who is who is educated and can take a step back and think actually, I know that guy, what he's saying isn't true. I know it's I know he's talking bullshit. I know he's trying to he's picking facts and he's making it work for his argument. But my argument is a lot of so there's some people in the society who, who can't view it like that and they do take it as red and that's why people can't be allowed just to come out and say what they want when it is so hateful firstly I think that's a really bad argument because it's an argument against democracy it's an argument mm. against all sorts of freedoms because they'll make bad choices they're idiots it, it's a really really dangerous argument yeah but it is a, it's dangerous where people are going out in the world and maybe not in the UK but in America, you see it quite a lot where people are influenced and they go out and do hateful things. I understand what you're saying about letting people say what they want. I know it's hard to have rules saying these people can't say this, but everyone else can say that. I understand that. But, but there's, there's got to be something in place to stop certain yes, things I, exploding. And I agree with that. That's what I'm getting at. I mean, everyone can't just say what they want all the time, basically. No, no, okay, hold on. People should be able to say what they want all the yeah. time. But if you come out and say, I hate black people, you should lose your job. Mm. And I have the right of freedom of speech, so I should be able to go to your employer and say, they should be fired. They are an employee of this company, you are represented by them. If they say that, that's you saying that, indirectly. So I should be using my freedom of speech, not to shout down that person, but to go to the employer and say, I'm not gonna come to your business because of these values that you're fostering. And then I can go elsewhere. Yeah. And so we can regulate society without the state that's what I'm saying. That's, that's all I'm saying. So um, people who are racist should be named and shamed, you know, put on social media, they can be whatever, and then they should be fired from their job. People who associate with them, them should be ostracized. And, and then well, we do it that time, way. At the same time, they have, they have the freedom of, the, the, you know, the right of a fair trial. Even on social media, they have the, they have the freedom of speech to defend themselves. Yeah, they could, yeah, but that's only their but, freedom of speech. So. But yeah, but exactly, but that's the freedom of speech. But by advocating or going down the route that you're saying, if the majority of the community turn around and go, okay, you're, you're sacked from your job, ostracised from the community, they then have lost their freedom of speech. No, no, they've, no, this is the misconception. So I should be allowed to say what I want, but I don't have any right to demand that anybody listens to me. They're completely separate issues. So. I, I can say, I'm saying that if you want to say whatever you want to say, that's fine. But I don't want to be near you, and I don't think other people should be near you. And I should be able to say to those people, don't be near him, he's a racist, come over here with me. That's, that's what I'm saying, but it's only freedom of speech that allows that. We don't need the state to get involved. And if you're left in an empty room shouting racist remarks, well, who cares? If he's stood in a corner saying racist remarks, after a while, someone's going to be like, Oh, actually, I like what he says. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stand with him, and I'm gonna start saying it, and then someone else is gonna start saying it. Yeah. That's what I'm getting. It, people will, people who think the same will gravitate, 
go with Racism, each other yeah. and but, grow and grow and grow and influence more people but racists, that's why you've got to try and racists will stick together so what are you going to do though so you're, you're talking and you're saying this as though banning it makes it better banning it, it I mean not, not allowing it just to be open that like people say what they want you need okay. to have people so people think we are, again we are. rather than saying it out loud I know it's I understand are. what you're saying you can't accept people force it to keep it in their heads and not say it out loud <coughs> and live their lives can I just, just, just make one point? I mean, I, I have just gone on the, the font of all knowledge, which is Wikipedia, um, about freedom of speech, and it's uh, censorship in the United Kingdom. And one thing I didn't realise, and I mean, again, this is the Wikipedia, so it could be wrong. One of the things that's actually illegal under British law is treason, including advocating for the abolition of the monarchy, which, to be perfectly honest, I mean... I, I didn't realise it was illegal to, to say that you'd abolish the monarchy. I mean, I've done that multiple times. Yeah, I mean, so. I would, I'm, I'm an avid Republican, I agree with you. <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to refer back to uh, the blog article which I wrote, because it's about Anjem Chowdhury and his deportation. So Anjem Chowdhury was charged with the offences under Section 12 of the Terrorism Act of 2000, which states, a person commits an offence if he invites support for a prescribed organisation. That's insane. This is, mm. this is the Terrorism Act that should cover things like terrorist acts. And the head of the investigation into Anjam Chowdhury, he said, the oath of allegiance was a turning point for the police. At last we had the evidence that they had stepped over the line and we could prove they supported ISIS. That's complete bullshit. <laughs> hey, I was a scout, right? And I pledged allegiance to the monarch and God. I'm an atheist Republican, right? <laughs> like, it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. And he went to prison from that. And the investigating policeman says that an oath of allegiance is the turning point in this. Is that the society we want to live in? Really? I, think, I know what you mean, yeah. I think that we are better than people like Anjan Chowdhury, who would lock all these people up because of what they believe and how they act. I think we're better than that. Not because we're Christian or white or British, but because we let people we disagree with do things we disagree with and that's what makes us good and if we start banning stuff that people say well why are we any different to that yeah, yeah it's absolutely. made me it's made me think what you said about the, the monarchy then because i'm the same as you i would actively promote not having i don't know i don't know if it's how legal it is <laughs> <laughs> i don't believe in the monarchy in this country anyway but the same argument is what you're saying is they could introduce rules to stop me from saying that and if i said that i could go to prison and what you're saying is I should be allowed to say that I should be allowed to say I don't believe in the market and that's what the, the safest that, way to divide what should be allowed and what shouldn't be allowed in terms of hateful acts and speech is that we say speech is okay acts are bad mm. and that's where we should draw the line it's the easiest place to do it and it allows us to challenge those beliefs head on finish the podcast we're going to talk about what's happened over the last couple of weeks now it's been in the news about the assassination of the uh, Russian spy I guess we can call him in Salisbury and obviously Britain's response to what happened and can we really have an effective response to Russia and what can we do obviously Russia has such an impact on our society maybe not as much outside London but definitely inside London it does 
And yes, we've expelled diplomats, and yes, we've put stories out in the media. And the Defence Secretary has come out and told them to shut up and go away. That's very scary and very effective. Yeah, we've all got our own opinions on that as well. Bloody childish. We're in a position as a country where we'll happily take money from Russia. We'll allow them to buy our properties. We'll allow them to buy our football clubs. We will go to the World Cup and be a part of that, and we will promote it. And we'll allow them to have free speech in this country. Russia Today, the stuff that they do on social media, which we should talk about. The problem is, what can we do about this? Do we go to war with Russia? No. Do we sanction Russia? Well, we can't on our own. For one, there isn't the willpower in Parliament to do it anyway. And two, we don't have the backing of America right now to do that. Maybe. The European Union probably won't. Today, Juncker has released a letter. Congratulations, Putin, on his election victory. It's been reported in Russia that Donald Trump rang up Vladimir Putin and congratulated him on his election victory. So, mm. Well, exactly. We're in a position where we can expel the diplomats, they'll expel the diplomats, but nothing massive is going to come from it. Does this promote that they can do it again? Does it promote that we're, we're weak? It's not necessarily something that's that's been talked about a huge amount, but it's something that I find fairly interesting is this idea that Britain is still the world power we were at the turn of the last century. We aren't this this world power that we once were. We aren't Britain that ruled the waves anymore, um, you know, or the military power. Of course we still have power and of course we still have nuclear weapons and we still have a military force, but when Litvinenko, who was a you know well-known, outspoken critic of Vladimir Putin and of the Russian state, was poisoned with plutonium, all of the evidence suggested that it was done on the behalf of the Russian state, mm. that this was the killing of a spy that's gone turncoat. And yet, at that time, Theresa May, who is now our Prime Minister, was the head of the Home Office, and she flat out refused to have an investigation into the murder of Litvinenko. The reason why was because it was not the right time to start stirring up diplomatic tensions with Russia. And yet, now, is the correct time and I don't want to go clutching at straws or anything but the only reason why I can view it being the right time to do it now was because it's at the same time as them signing off on the transitional the Brexit um, transition the, the Brexit transition and what better way of distracting people than by going look at Russia yeah. <laughs> there was an element of Theresa May saying they have 24 hours to respond which reminds you of the, of the notification sent to Germany after invading Poland. Yeah. Mm. Say they have 24, or if they have not responded by midnight tonight, a state of war will exist between... And it, and it had that feeling about it, you're right. Yeah. I think what Theresa May was doing was trying to drum up a bit of nationalistic pride. Mm. I think she's really gone and balls it up. Mm. There was a very good article in The Spectator this week, which was basically saying that Corbyn was right. And it's not often you hear a magazine like The Spectator no. supporting someone like Jeremy Corbyn. And the point was that Russia was so clearly in the wrong. It's completely clear that Russia is behind it, or sufficiently clear anyway. But Britain has not followed the correct protocols that should have been followed. And what it has done is it has created ambiguity that the Russians love that gives them a element of deniability, a pretty measly element but if it was the Russians there's no reason for the British government to be all childish there's no reason for them to throw around 24 hour deadlines it's completely pointless there are international institutions that should deal with this thing and Britain didn't use them and we yeah. we threw away um, the the sort of 
the procedural justice element of this argument, or we've just lost it like that. That also links in with this anti-Corbyn view. I'm not the greatest proponent of Jeremy Corbyn. Uh, however, at the same time, I find it astonishing the backlash that he got from him turning around and going, well, we should be following these procedures. He was basically saying, well, look at what happened with Iraq. We rushed into something. You can't expect us to sit here and go, you've said this, so it's obviously true. I don't think that we should take just being told, okay, this is definitely Russia, because there isn't any evidence yet. Nothing's been showed yet. No, hold on. Okay, I, I disagree with Corbyn on this, and I disagree with you on this. There, there is plenty of evidence that Russia has, has done this. But I think this goes back again to what we were saying before. It, it's quite clear that Russia has done this, but that doesn't mean that we get carte blanche to do what we want. No. So in response. So when somebody commits a murder, it doesn't matter how certain it is that that murder has been committed. There are procedures you go through. You arrest them, you charge them, you, in, you interrogate them, you give them a defence lawyer, then they go through a trial, and then they're found guilty at the end of it. We know all the way through that process that they did it, mm. but... It's not until the end that we say, well, they're guilty of this crime and then therefore there's the punishment. It's like that with Russia. We know that they did it. They obviously did it. I don't think there is any ammo. On Question Time last week, there was a Russia Today guy who was trying to make some broad philosophical debate about the nature of certainty and the, the whole kind of, well, it's not a fact yet and we're not certain. I'm not certain that the fucking world exists. Like, if, if you want to be a dick about it, then you can go sit in the corner and, and not know anything. Like, you can't, you can't pull that argument. It doesn't stand up at all. So we know that Russia... Who else could it be? Who benefits from it? Every, everything points to Russia. There's no, there is no other, <laughs> there's no other suspect in this. It is Russia. But we don't just start throwing out sanctions and stuff willy-nilly when there are procedures to follow. So it's the procedural bit that we should have done. But Russia clearly did it. So well, you, you talked about the response to Jeremy Corbyn. Well, it's always extreme for anything that Jeremy Corbyn does. <laughs> if his words were coming out of a different person maybe he'd get a better response but I think it's more about him more than anything else now Yeah. and the Conservatives have eaten it up Boris Johnson I don't know how he's still well we know why he's still there but in any other world yeah. he would not have that job the new Defence Secretary when he said shut up and go away that is just yeah. ridiculous you've got David Davis doing whatever he does in Brexit he's just give up loads of red lines that they'll never cross in the transition period they've crossed all of them and this is just another layer on top of it I don't think if Labour and power they would respond to it any better mm. I think it's just something where it's probably got everyone off guard and Theresa yeah. May's thought you know what I'm going to go in there we're going to do all this but she's just lost it and she's lost everything now we say that if someone else had been saying what Corbyn has been saying it would have been interpreted differently and I think that yeah. is true but I don't think that it's entirely external to him so Corbyn's a key figure in the Stop the War movement the Stop the War movement has been very quiet on Ukraine. It was very quiet on some of the Russian expansion on its eastern and south southern borders. So Jeremy Corbyn makes a rod for his own back here because I do not think that he is consistent with his foreign policy outlook. To take it back to Theresa May, so at one point she was quite happy to prevent an investigation into what happened to Litvinenko. There's been further reports on misgivings surrounding the Conservative Party and Russian money. There's a prominent Putin advisor, and his wife won a tennis match with Boris Johnson and David Cameron. And there's been similar allegations of the Conservative Party, or at least Conservative candidates, receiving money from Russian citizens. And then, of course, there's all the money that's invested in London, like you touched on earlier, about football clubs. I mean, you know, you need to look at Chelsea, you know, Arsenal, Roman yeah. Abramovich and Guzmanov. 
are we really able to stop the flood of Russian money into this country? And also, do we really want to stop the flood of, of Russian money? There's the argument about them buying up housing in, in London, but you could say some of that money eventually goes to other areas. It doesn't do in reality because a lot of it gets taken out of the system and shell companies done it really. We're based in Manchester, aren't we, where we record this. Manchester's notorious in the media at the minute for allowing developers to develop flats without any social housing. A lot of them flats have been sold straight off plan out of the country to Russia or whatever. The big thing about Russia as well, they do control a lot of, not just money, but they control a lot of resources as well that like Europe needs. and. But I said, remember, talk about Crimea, didn't a, a passenger jet get shot down where civilians died? Yeah, yeah. And it came from Holland, Netherlands. Dutch, yeah. And it, obviously it was never officially connected to Russia, but the weapon that was used was spotted in Russia, whatever. But I said, that was a time where you should have expected governments, what's going on is totally wrong. Why is the World Cup still in Russia for one? I think England should have pulled out of the World Cup. But if England are going to pull out, they need France, Germany, Spain. But take a step back and to think, to be fair, it'd be a pretty big message. Every European country said, you know what, we're not going to go to that World Cup. Because that would affect them a lot more than diplomats being kicked out of the country. Last time we kicked diplomats out of the country, they all went back to Russia. A lot of them got top jobs in oil companies. Some of them became big celebrities over there. A lot of them got their own TV show. It's not a big thing for them to be sent back affected them more will be all these countries not going to the World Cup yeah. and that will really ha hurt them. We've just seen a massive shaman of an election in Russia where the, the main candidate who could have stood has been locked up and banned from standing on trumped up charges and the top candidate before him was assassinated only a few hundred yards from the Kremlin. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like shot. Like, yeah. it's, it's insane. So you're right, in, in a sense, this kind of assassination is just kind of like, well, in the broad scheme of things, it's nothing. We should have been pulling out from Russia ages ago. We should have been blocking Russian money mm. ages ago. Well, Our hands are already covered in blood. There's a really interesting article in The Economist uh, that came out recently, which, funnily enough, I'm just reading part of right now. We bored him, obviously. Well, no, it's incredibly relevant. It's talking about going after Russian money in the UK is really a bad idea. The amount of funds which come primarily from Russian people, Russian expats, that live in the UK and live in London is astronomical. One example is to do with a case between Roman Abramovich and the late Boris Berezovsky that generated between three and ten million pounds for the one personal barrister who represented Roman Abramovich. Yeah, but who cares if he loses? <laughs> I don't give a toss. Like, no, but that's is, just a small is, example. That's yeah, just a yeah, tiny, okay. tiny, small okay. example of one case of the amount of money that yeah. is being generated in London. So when we say that it's creating money for some people. Well, yeah, it's creating money for some people, but lots of other people are being screwed over at the same time. So mm. if those people lose some money, I don't lose any sleep. Okay, we, we start removing the money that Russians have invested in our country. How is that going to affect Russia, really? Primarily, how is that going to affect Putin? Because that's what we're talking about, really. Because the material conditions of people in Russia do depend on their exports, on their prestige, on their currency strength, and those things are affected by sanctions, and so it, it does it does attack Putin's base. No matter what he does, if Russian people are made poorer, if they feel it in their pockets, then Putin will feel it. Right here, right now, it doesn't, because he's just been voted in for another six years. Right now, he's probably his most powerful because oh, it's yeah, been he's been six years. Yeah. No, he, no it's, it's a sham. 
But the thing is, there's a lot of people in that country who are deeply unhappy. But obviously, we'll never hear about it here in Manchester and England. The media will never know about it here. But on the ground, they will. But like you said, if every opposition leader is being arrested yeah. or killed, for example, but, but, then, then nothing's, it's going to be hard for people to change. And that's why it's so... Dictatorships worried. are never ended through a charismatic opposition leader. Dictatorships are ended by people coming onto the streets because living conditions are bad. Yeah. That's what happened but, in Eastern Europe. That's what brought down the Soviet Union. That's what caused the Arab Spring. It is mass movements. And one of the best ways to get mass movements started is to start to squeeze their pockets. But the flip side That's of it. that, do we want that to happen to Russia? Yes. Do we want, no, but the thing is, do we want someone, do you want Putin to be taken out of there and someone worse to be put in there? Or the country to entirely fall apart and it just turn into a country where I don't know, it's just a narco state where it's, or oil state where maybe Putin being there, yes, he is bad. But like, look what's happened in, well, Libya, and look what's happened in other, Arab Spring, for example. Are some of the leaders that are in there now better than what they were before? Right. Let's do an outro. All I was going to say was one of the things about the Cold War was what America used to do. They used to change the street name of where the Russian embassy was in America to like famous exile from Russia. And then Russia used to change the street name of American embassy to something like offensive to America. So when they send stuff to the embassy, it's like, we hate Bush Bush street or something like that. We should do that here. Name the, em- <laughs> then they wrote the embassies on after the guy who got assassinated or something like that. Yeah, let's do an outro. And that's the end of uh, episode three of Behind the Times. Thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. If you've got any comments, please uh, contact us on our Twitter handle, which is Behind the Times underscore. Alternatively, you can always email us at Behind the Times Podcast. Behind the Times. Alternatively, you can always email us at Behind the Times Podcast. What is it? Behind the, what is it? Behind Behind the Times Podcast at gmail.co.uk. Outlook. At outlook.com. Alternatively, you can always email us at Behind the Times Podcast at Outlook.co.uk. Um, you yeah. doing the outro again, man. You're a rabbit. Oh, no. I'm <laughs> fucking lost it, man. That's perfect. <laughs> and yes, thank you once again. I've been Sean here with Will and Josh, and we hope to hear. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, and thank you once again for listening to episode three of Behind the Times. Uh, we hope that you'll listen again to episode four, which should be coming to you within the next couple of weeks. Thank you. Bye-bye. Like, share and subscribe. <laughs>